Well, good morning to you, Deer Creek. It's a joy to uh, be with you this morning. My wife and I have been having a great time being here in, uh, in Colorado. <clears throat> so this summer, you as a church have been going through the Psalms. Summer in the Psalms, it's been called. And Daniel mentioned two weeks ago, by quoting John Calvin, that the Psalms are the anatomy of the soul. In the Psalms, we read about the depths of despair. You read a psalm like Psalm 13, where the psalmist says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Or Psalm 22, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And we've all been there. In the depths of loneliness and sadness, when you go through a breakup or a divorce, when you get laid off, or you receive a grim news from the doctor, or maybe even a loved one dies. The Psalms give words to our sadness, or as one of my mentors once said, the Psalms teach us to run to the embrace of God, pound on his chest, and ask why. I'm sure you've seen maybe movies where detectives go to the house of someone, usually a wife, and uh, he has to deliver bad news. And the wife just crumbles in the embrace of the detective. She says, why? That's the picture that I want you to have, that you can run to God. And the Psalms give us that opportunity. Now, I grew up in a tradition, church tradition, that steered me away from asking God the hard why questions. I was taught to approach God with my petitions and thanksgiving. And you can imagine my surprise when I was able to see these psalms anew with different lenses and find out that I can take my whys to God, my hard questions, and that God won't be mad at me or won't reject me. That felt amazing. And in a sense, I felt like I had access to God. Like I had a secret and I'm like, I think I can share this with people, right? Well, the psalms teach us that. The Psalms give words to our sadness because we can trust God in our sadness and with our sadness. We also read in the Psalms of intense joy and soaring praise because God is great and he is good. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. I mean, this Psalm has you soaring in the clouds, doesn't it? Or Psalm 147, which says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Here the psalmist is saying, God and praise go together. They are inseparable, like Fourth of July and fireworks and barbecue. Or Thanksgiving and turkey. Now can you imagine a Fourth of July with no fireworks? or no burgers or brats, or Thanksgiving with no turkey, that would be a weird holiday. And so, praise and God go together. Or maybe one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 150. Since I grew up as a musician, this was kind of our anthem. Psalm 150 says, Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. 
Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with loud, with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I think that's permission for the drummers to play a little louder, right? And uh, if they do play louder after the sermon, you can send your comments to uh, Aaron Ellis. And so this psalm, our psalm this morning, is a song of praise that invites us to dream about God in a beautiful way. It's a song about a place that carried a lot of meaning for the people of Israel because God dwelt there. And that place being Mount Zion. So join me in your copy of God's word as we read Psalm 48. Psalm 48, beginning at verse 1. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion, in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her, within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight, trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen. In the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgment. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. This is God's word. It is true, and it is given to us in love. Please join me in a word of prayer. Oh, God Almighty, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that through it you speak to us. Through it you show us our Savior, and you show us our deep need for that Savior. I pray this morning that uh, you would speak to every heart in here. I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase through the preaching of your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, if you're anything like me, in the moments that you maybe fantasize about a big home, <clears throat> you might visit real estate sites and you begin to dream, right? And you might go on Redfin or Zillow and you begin to go through really nice properties and you tap the 60 photoshopped pictures that they present to you on there and you begin to dream. And maybe you look at the location where the place is located and then you consider maybe it's next to the beach if you're in LA or maybe it's really close to the mountains. But a place is more than just its geography. 
It's about the things that give a place meaning and value. What are some of the things that give the place where you are meaning and value? For many of us, it's people, family, friends. We, t- we tell people, you know, my parents live really close to us, or my friends live down the block. Or maybe it's schools. You might say, well, the district in our school is the best district in the area. Or safety. Our kids can roam around the street and their bicycles without a worry. Or maybe it's shops, restaurants. And you know which shops, coffee shops, have good Wi-Fi and which restaurants offer gluten-free options. Or maybe it's for the parks and the amusement. Whatever the case, we understand that the geography is more than just the geography. In fact, in the history of our country, many times we put music to the places that we love. We have America the Beautiful, The Star-Spangled Banner, Country Roads by John Denver, Georgia on My Mind by Ray Charles, Empire State of Mind by Jay-Z and Alicia Keys, or my personal favorite, Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. (laughs) (laughs) The point being that geography is much more than just the geography. And so Psalm 48 this morning is a song that summons us to dream about a place that is more than just a place. It's a song that summons us to dream about a greater presence, a deeper safety, and a louder concert. And so those will be our points. And so we'll start with a song that summons us to dream of a greater presence. As I mentioned to you in my intro, we appreciate where we live for many reasons. But one of the main reasons we like where we live has to do to proximity to people. The presence of specific persons. So like Daniel mentioned, I'm originally from LA and young people, aspiring people, move to LA for many reasons. One of them is to be in the entertainment industry many times. And Many times they'll move to where there could be proximity. Maybe they'll encounter a producer, a director, a script reader, um, or maybe even an actor. And the presence of those people conveys a lot of meaning for those who are aspiring to be in the industry. And so presence is important. The presence of people in the industry. Or maybe you've started a family and you think, you know what, the big city is not for us to raise our kids. And so you begin to long for being with family, with your parents. And you you think back about home-cooked meals and you hope that your kids can be able to enjoy what you enjoyed when you were a kid. And again, presence is important. The presence of people gives a place meaning. And the same went for Mount Zion. The reason this mountain had any meaning and value was because God's presence was central and preeminent to it. The temple was there. And the temple pointed to the presence of God and the fact that Israel was a worshiping people. In fact, you'll remember with me that when God sent Moses to free the people out of captivity, God tells Moses to tell, to tell Pharaoh Let my people go so that they may serve me. The people were not free to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. They were free to serve 
God. And so toward, towards that end, when they were freed, God instructed them to build a tent which would contain furnishings that all pointed to God. When the people made the land of Canaan theirs, King David set aside this location to establish the tabernacle and then build a temple there. It is here where God made his dwelling during the time in our passage. Now, what effect did the presence of God have on Mount Zion in Jerusalem? Well, first, the presence of God on Mount Zion evoked praise. Look with me at verse 1, which says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. So as David set aside Jerusalem for worship, he also organized families to serve in different roles in the tabernacle. One of those families, as the superscription of this psalm says, were the sons of Korah. Now these guys, in effect, were the band, the house band. There was to be music continually in the temple. Praise, singing, and music is the proper response to the presence of God and his greatness. Two, this song sings of the holiness of God in that place. Notice the designation of that mountain as holy. God's presence makes the mountain his holy mountain. Now that was not new to the people of Israel. When God first encounters Moses at the burning bush, he tells Moses to take off his sandals for the place where he was standing was holy ground. God's presence makes a place holy. God is so pure that his presence purifies whatever, wherever he is the center and wherever he is preeminent. And this evokes joy and beauty. Look at verse 2, which says that this holy mountain is, quote, beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Now, Mount Zion gives the front range a run for its money. And you are all well familiar with the beauty that the mountain range holds here. In fact, my wife and I <clears throat> last week had the opportunity to go to Salida, and as we were driving through the mountains, we could just behold the beauty that the mountains are. And then as we were inching closer to Salida, just the valley that just opened up in front of us. And of course, as we who believe in God, we can say, what beauty it is. God is a master craftsman. And so again, God is the one who gives place meaning. Three, we also learn in this song that this is where God dwells. And where God dwells, from there he rules. The second part of verse 2 tells us, Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Now this is poetic language telling the reader that Mount Zion is where heaven and earth meet. This is Israel's claim that Jehovah stands above all other gods. And then 4. Verse 3 of this song then tells us that within the city walls is where God is praised and where he is king. And this king is a fortress. Look with me at verse 3. Within, within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. That is, God is the protection of the city. But notice how within the fortified walls of the city, God is stronger still. The citadels point to God as its protector. That is, 
that God is a fortress within a fortress. And so this song is summoning us. It's inviting us to sing of the greatness of the presence of God. And we can sing about the holiness and the kingship of God too. And then our awareness of that presence of God makes every place and every situation better. When we are able to realize, as this psalm is helping us to do, that God is sovereign in every place. He is sovereign wherever we are. And so whatever challenges come our way, we can confront those and not fear. Maybe you see the job market as shaky. Maybe business doesn't look great. You might be worried about your kid's future. Well, whatever the situation, God is present and he is king. And so to summarize, this song summons us to dream of a greater presence, God's presence, his holiness, and his reign. Two, our, point, our second point this morning, this song summons us to dream of a deeper safety. So going back to our real estate analogy, what is another reason that we like and we enjoy where we live? Well, it has to do with the safety that we're able to find in that city. Safety is essential to wherever we live. Now, <clears throat> like Daniel said earlier when he introduced me, I'm from L.A. Now, there is L.A., and then there's L.A. There's the L.A. that many times the tourism board shows you in a commercial. And it's the beaches, the mountains. Uh, in the winter, there's the opportunity that you can be surfing in the morning, and then maybe the following day you want to go snowboarding. Well, the mountains are right there. And it gives the impression that L.A. is the place to visit. <clears throat> and it's true, but then there's the L.A. that I knew. That is the cities of Watts, Compton, South Central, Linwood. Cities that back in the 90s were raised because of the riots. And I remember during a, a time of the riots when I was a kid that we had to board our, our windows because we didn't want the activity that was going on outside to get into our homes. And we longed for the safety that some of the nicer neighborhoods had to the point that my parents even considered moving out of L.A. for the same reason. Just, just there was too much going on. And our safety was in peril. Israel was no stranger to this. Geographically, Israel was in a precarious location. They had the Babylonians to the northeast, as well as the Assyrians. They had the Egyptians to the southwest. Their safety could at any moment be threatened. But Israel does not look to itself for its safety, or to its army, or to, her, to the wise generals or kings. No. As this song tells us, Israel looks to God for its protection, because he was their protector. Notice that God's protection of Israel is proved by the reaction of their enemies. Listen to the reaction of Israel's enemies when their enemies assembled. Look at me beginning at verse 5. It tells us, as soon as they saw it, that is Mount Zion, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. Now, how can walls strike fear in the hearts of Israel's enemies? Well, it was not the walls. 
It was about the one who was within the walls. Israel's enemies were able to recognize the same thing that Israel recognized, that the city walls were more than about the city walls. They pointed to God who dwelt within the city walls. From where does God's protection flow to Israel? Well, the sons of Korah reflect on that fact, that God's protection flows from his attributes. And what attributes do we find in this passage? We find steadfast love, righteousness, and judgment. Look with me at verse 9, which says, We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. Now, steadfast love was an attribute that Israel was very well acquainted with. Some Bible versions translate the original Hebrew word as loving kindness or mercy. In Exodus 34, it is how the Lord reveals himself to Moses. You'll remember that when the Lord speaks to Moses, the second time he gave Moses the law, he tells Moses, and he calls him, the Lord calls himself by this. He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, the first time that God gave Moses the law, the, the Lord summons Moses to Mount Sinai, and the Lord gives Moses the law. That is his character, his statutes. And as Moses is communing with God, the people of Israel are just engaging in the, the worst uh, idol worship. And so God has to tell Moses, you got to hurry, hurry down the hill because the people are just engaging in the worst kind of worship. And so Moses runs down the, down the mountain and he beholds what's going on and he breaks the law. It's almost symbolic of what Israel was doing was violating the law of God. And so the second time, Moses goes again, and he receives the law, and the Lord reveals himself as a steadfast, a God of steadfast love, merciful and gracious. Then verse 10 of Psalm 48 goes on to tell us, it goes on to praise God for his righteousness. The righteousness of God speaks to God being his own standard of right, which goes hand in hand with his holiness. God's protection of Israel did not violate any, any standard of right. God is perfect in all his ways. And then verse 11 tells us that because God is righteous, the righteousness, that is, he is praised for his judgments. God's protection of Israel is not vindictive or arbitrary. His protection of his people far surpasses a human way of safety or protection. And for that, Verse 11 tells us that all the daughters of Judah praise him. Now, can you imagine a safety, a protection like this? We have cameras on our house, cameras on our businesses. We insure ourselves to the max, don't we? With health insurance, home insurance, car insurance, even our pets can have insurance. We even trust our retirement accounts to feel financially safe. And we put our trust on these things, don't we? And many times we see this as ends in themselves rather than means. Now, what if these things couldn't come true for us? This week, I was able to hear a report of um, the situation in, in, in California where home, uh, insurance companies are not extending new policies to homeowners 
or uh, renewing their policies. And so the, report, the reporter was able to interview a person who was affected by this reality. And it just, the person was burdened by the fact that not only was a loved one going through some health crisis, but then to discover that their home insurance was not going to be there for them, it just ex exacerbated their problem. Now, this homeowner, if you would have asked this homeowner a few years back if they ever saw that happening to them, no, they wouldn't. And so this song invites us to dream about a protection that far surpasses our own ways of protection. God is our protection because he is perfect in all of his ways. And so we've noted how this song summons us to dream of a greater presence and it invites us to dream of a deeper safety. Next, this song summons us to sing a louder concert. And this one is the heading that might have seemed a little out of place, but stick with me. If you were to ask a room full of kids, A, if they wanted to do chores, or B, to go to Disneyland, what do you think they'd choose? I think we'd make the same decision like the kids would if we were presented with the same choices. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in a very austere Christian tradition where we used to have retreats, but these retreats were fasting retreats. In other words, there was going to be no food. Our view of God was one that was, uh, was about fulfilling our duty to God, to earn his love, and not one where, because we are love, then we fulfill our duty to God out of love. It was not a joyful response. So you can imagine that when, when I was younger, me and my peers would sign up for these retreats, not because it was a joy, but we wanted to, to be accepted by God. And then we wanted to prove to the adults that we were committed to God. And so we didn't sign up full of excitement. We signed up full of drudgery, thinking that we had to do this to be accepted by God. Now, then I was able to be part of a church that retreats were filled with joy. They were filled with not only good biblical teaching, but there were going to be games, and there, were going to, there was going to be food, and you had to had options for food. And so when those announcements came, it was like, yeah, let's sign up right away. And then everyone would sign up to those full of joy, and the word, the word would spread. And so here in our passage, we are told and we are taught to sing of the greatness of God, and then the people, the people of Israel, they were beneficiaries of the sovereign safety from a loving king and a steadfast love. And so this song encourages the people to appreciate Zion and to spread the good news of great joy. Look with me at verses 12 through 13. They say, walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation. In other words, assess the beauty of the city, look at her walls of defense, and then be an evangelist for the city. But the towers, ramparts, citadels are not about them. They are about God. And what are they to tell the next generation? Quote, that this is our God. Our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. It's all about God 
and we can trust that God. And so this song ends the way it started, with God being the central and preeminent person in the city. And so we are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the next generation, the next generation of kids in the kids' ministry, in the nursery, the kids at youth group, but also to the generation outside of these walls. We are to proclaim the goodness of Jesus as he is presented in the gospel. In the work of Jesus, God is made attractive. So where have we been, where have we been this morning? Well, the geography is much more than just the geography. This psalm summons us to dream of a greater presence. It summons us to dream of a deeper safety. And it summons us to sing a louder concert. But eventually, Jerusalem would be conquered and overtaken and eventually destroyed. And God knew that. But Jesus came on the scene. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, John uh, tells us in the first chapter, 14th verse, it tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is, Jesus established his tabernacle among us. Any Hebrew reader would have known, would have understood what John was communicating here. Here is God in the flesh living among us. And what did he come to do? Through his perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection, he began to build something new that includes you and me. Ephesians 2.22 tells us he came to build something new, yet very recognizable. You see, the temple as it stood in Jerusalem was going to be no more. So there was going to be a longing for, for that temple. Now, what was going to fill that longing? Well, Ephesians 2 tells us. It tells us, so... So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So you can see here the same themes that are found in Psalm 48. God is building something new, yet very recognizable. Now you might be thinking to yourself, me something beautiful? Like, man, you don't know me. Like, I'm full of besetting sins, temptations, weaknesses. But you don't look to yourself. I don't look to myself to build myself and make myself look beautiful. The passage is telling us to look to God. He is the one that's building something beautiful a dwelling place for God. You see, in this passage, we have the same themes as Psalm 48. God's presence, God is central to it, and he is, we are where he dwells. But again, the structure is more than just the walls and the towers and the citadels. It is about you. Jesus began something new, yet very recognizable with you. So you can look around. Not at walls, but at people, beautiful people. Indeed, the Apostle Peter in his letter, he writes, saying that all of us, stones, precious stones, are being built up as a temple for God. And so we can proclaim, this is our God, our God forever and ever. 
And there is still more. We sang that, we sang about our faith becoming sight earlier. And so there's still a full and final fulfillment to this promise where our faith will be sight. Listen to what Revelation 21 has to say. And I want you to hear again the same themes that we heard in Psalm 48. Listen to these selected passages from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Do you hear the beautiful building that God is making? But again, it's not about the building. It's about the God who dwells in it. And in this case, it's about all of us together. And so, dear Cree, you can tell others about this that this is our God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. And this is what we get to sing about. Amen? Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you that you are a master builder. And you are building something beautiful, something to behold, and something that can be sung about. Lord, Please help us to see you as holy and preeminent and central in everything and that you are our protector. And we thank you that we can look to you as the one who is forming us to be all that you want us to be in Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you. Put a song of praise on our lips always. In Jesus' name, amen.